Welcome to Waste Not and Feed the Need, the podcast of Los Fishes Family Kitchen. In today's episode, we have the pleasure to talk to Doug Cobble, the Executive Director of the California Product Stewardship Council. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. All right, good morning. Welcome to Waste Not and Feed the Need, the podcast for Los Fishes Family Kitchen. My name is Mauricio Cordova. I'm your co-host. I'm here with David Hug. Good morning, David. Good morning, Mauricio. How are you? How was your honeymoon? It was, per- oops, I almost said a bad word. It was, per- <laughs> uh, it was awesome. <laughs> Just came back from Maui, uh, had a beautiful ceremony in Yosemite Valley. And uh, those that were there got to see an experience that was something that none of us have experienced. So um, I'll leave it at that. If you want to know more, reach out to me. But uh, it was wonderful. <laughs> Weather was perfect in Maui, and uh, we were able to have a wonderful time. And I think I gained 10 pounds. So awesome. thanks for asking. Well, you're welcome. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to, today, we have the pleasure to have Doug Cobble. He is the executive director of the California Product Stewardship Council. Ah, that's a mouthful. Good morning, uh, Doug. How are you? Good morning, gentlemen. Happy to be here. Glad. Well, thank you for sharing your time uh, in this space. Uh, we're very excited to to get to know uh, know you better and also know more about your organization. And we're uh, going to talk about a bunch of very interesting things, I think, so at least in my opinion. So tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your organization, please, uh, Doug. All right. I'm happy to do so. So I, I like to say I've been talking trash for 30 years now. Um, <laughs> been in the solid waste and recycling industry um, that entire time since I graduated from college with a degree in civil engineering from Chico State up in the Northern California area. Um, and never thought I would be talking trash all this time, but it's it's a, been an awesome career. Um, and it's something that is perpetual. It definitely uh, transcends uh, economics. Uh, and everything else that we face every year or year, every decade. So it's been a great, a great opportunity. And so uh, the majority of that 30 years was spent in local government, either for Yolo County or in my early in my career, five and a half years there. Then I did a two and a half year stint in the private sector doing consulting up and down the state for uh, landfills, transfer stations, material recovery facilities, compost facilities, collections operations. Gave me a really good statewide perspective on on what happens to all the stuff that we put out of the curb every day or every week um, and where it goes and what happens to it ultimately. So um, and then did another 18 year stint with Sacramento County. Um, doing a lot of uh, work in the planning, uh, program planning, program development space for recycling and for other, and for household hazardous waste. Um, did a lot of legislative work, which got me kind of into the role I'm in now. So I've been with CPSC, California Product Stewardship Council now for f- over four years um, at the helm here. I actually was the uh, a board member of CPSC since 2013. So I've been uh, affiliated with this, uh, with this organization for now nine years. Um, and with, like, again, the last four being here as the executive director. And um, what CPSC does is we're all about uh, producer responsibility. So our name is product, has product stewardship in it, but there's a little bit of a difference there. So product stewardship means someone is taking responsibility for the end of life of products that we use every day that we buy in the store and then we use up and we're going to either recycle or throw away. Well, so for product stewardship, somebody's doing that, somebody's paying for it. Typically, it's the consumers that are paying for it, not the not the manufacturers who make these products. Um, we see that in carpet, mattresses, paint, 
uh, electronics where you see a visible fee paid at the check stand, our uh, bottle program, our uh, beverage container book uh, program, it's called the bottle bill, um, which we'll probably talk about a little more here later in the podcast. Um, that is a deposit return system, but that is not a producer responsibility program. That is still us paying at the check stand. Sometimes we get our money back uh, in one form or another. We can talk about that more in detail later. Um, and then there is extended producer responsibility, which I like to call true EPR, extended producer responsibility. And that's where the producers, the manufacturers of the products themselves are held accountable for the end of life of their product. So um, if it's hard to recycle at the end of life, why shouldn't the producers be the ones paying the bill for that? So with the main goal in, in, in mind of, let's get these producers to make these things uh, better on the front end. Design on the front end saves money on the back end. If you can make these things, one, more durable, remember back in the 50s and 60s when you could buy a product and it would last forever, you'd be handing it down to your children. Um, and if it didn't work, if it broke, you could fix it. It was easy to fix, uh, more repairable. So, um, and then if it, if it was not worth anything anymore, you could still recycle it pretty easily because there was it, it wasn't as many components to it that are unrecyclable. Well, we're not in that stage anymore. Uh, um, so CPSC is starting a new campaign to, uh, it's called DR cubed, which is make the products more durable, more uh, reusable, more repairable and more recyclable so that they don't end up in the landfill um, ultimately. And so in, in that hierarchy. And so that's that's been huge for CPSC. That's been one of our goals, along with getting the producers to be uh, responsible for the products. And one of the one of the latest things CPSC did, and we can talk about this later in the podcast, is the two bills that uh, we co-sponsored this this last uh, legislative session on batteries, getting batteries out of the waste stream, the problems that they're creating, both the loose batteries uh, and detachable batteries, as well as the batteries that are embedded in the products we buy, where you can't get that battery out. What happens to that product at the end of life and where is it going and who should be taking care of that? And so we can talk about that a little bit more, but that's kind of where, where I've been in my career <laughs> and where uh, CPSE is uh, today. Awesome. Thank you for... Uh, that great information. I learned more in the last 10 minutes than I knew about a bunch of stuff before that. So thank you. Uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about plastics because that is something that I guess we all deal with it uh, in every day. And we some of us think we're doing the right thing when we're separating plastic or recycling or that kind of thing. So I guess there's a lot of information out there in the universe. But to kind of prompt the discussion, while I was you know wasting time uh, browsing, I found a great article about a law in South Lake Tahoe, which is banning single-use plastic bottles immediately out of uh, city facilities, and they'll phase it out uh, for be able to you won't be able to buy a, a like a 12-ounce bottle of water in Lake Tahoe in 2024. So they're going to slowly phase it out, and uh, they want to you know they say their tap water is great. They should be drinking tap water. You should be using your recycle you know your like hydro type of. Uh, uh, we just give somebody a prop, uh, uh, product placement, but you know your your metal bottle that you can reuse, right? And uh, that the, there's so many numbers of the plastics, one through seven. Some of us don't really know much about it. We understand some of them, or we think we do at least. Can you give us a uh, what is your opinion about this law? And second, you know, can you tell us about these all these seven numbers that are in all the plastic products that we buy and how much are they really recyclable? Are they being recycled? Uh, that kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So this, the plastics are a complicated issue. Um, they are becoming more prevalent 
in our society. They're being more obvious in our society. They're showing up on the beaches. We all see the horrible things. David, you probably saw saw that on some of the parts of the beaches that weren't being maintained where this stuff is washing up on shore. Um, I've yeah. certainly seen it. It was sad because I was also swimming with turtles. So, mm. you know, on one side, I'm looking at this beauty of this creature that I get to, to spend, of course, stay five feet away from. And um, <laughs> on some of the beaches, I did see uh, residues and it was saddening. Yeah, there's there. Uh, we're seeing that more and more uh, is being more publicized. The public is becoming more aware of the travesties that we're creating out there. Um, you've heard of the great garbage patch out there. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, it is bigger as I think it's now bigger than the state of Texas. Um, yeah. And that's the stuff that's sitting at the surface. Now, unfortunately, with plastics, they are of all different densities. So mm -hmm. some float, some sink. Um, they're all different sizes. They diff they break down under different circumstances, different types of environments, especially with sunlight. They tend to degrade and then they start to break down with wave action and, and whatnot. So um, it's become a huge problem. We're seeing a lot of animals die because they look at a piece of plastic, they get something to eat or they're eating something that ate that plastic before. And so up the food chain, it goes. And pretty soon, as we've seen, we've seen whales with um, plastic in their bellies, et cetera, and birds. And, and it's just a it's a horrible thing. So, like I mentioned earlier, the plastics are pretty complicated. We have our, um, from the resins perspective, we have the number ones, which most people are very familiar with when they look at the bottom of their um, pop bottle or their water bottle, they see that number one that's called poly, uh, that's PET. Um, and I don't always, I never can pronounce the actual uh, <laughs> chemical name, but it's PET. Um, and that's most prevalent in our, um, in our environment because it's for beverage containers, it's juice bottles. It's also what we call clamshells. So those, the clamshells that you use to take out your food containers, those, a lot of those are made by PET. And so um, because of bottle, what we call bottle bills, I mentioned that earlier, bottle bills in various states across the nation, a lot of the PET bottles actually do get recycled recycled and if it's just PET bottles they can be actually uh, recycled back into new PET bottles so there is some uh, good level of recycling of the PET going on uh, the next number on the chain is uh, number two which is high density polyethylene or HDPE those are typically your tide or your, your detergent bottles your dishwasher detergent bottles um, your coffee grounds uh, your new coffee grounds you buy in the store that are in a plastic tub those are your PET uh, I'm sorry your HDPE uh, and so those have a fair market value too is and like the milk jugs the plastic milk jugs that's the we call it the translucent or clear uh hdpe and then we have the colored P, uh, hdpe and they actually both get marketed separately they are used for making more uh, hdpe bottles or making other products out of hdpe like landscape borders for example it's a good is an interesting use for it so we're seeing that material getting recycled not at the same level as pet um, but certainly it's being recycled pretty prevalently. So those are the two that if I had to say plastics that are being recycled and are recyclable, um, because there's two different, it, it may be recyclable. It doesn't mean it's getting recycled. And so PET and HDP are getting recycled for the most part, not as much as we'd like. Then you move down the chain some more. Number three is PVC. That's used in a lot of products, uh, containerized container products um, or for PVC pipe, et cetera. That's not 
very well recycled a little bit of recycling is going on there there's not there's a decent market when there when you find a market for it but um or decent value but it's hard it's hard to find those markets so um it's not as prevalent as one and two those are our biggest plastics uh, moving on to number four that's your low density polyethylene or ldpe that is your film plastic so that's the land that's the um agricultural film plastics out there that they're using for like growing the strawberries that's the film plastic you use for your plastic bags um there's uh, the film plastic that's your shrink wrap uh your mm. your wrap your uh, food wrap that you put around containers that's all that um, ldpe that material um also has a small market value uh, small market it's not most of it is uh disposed of um the bigger the bigger the source of it like the agricultural uh, film plastics that tends to have a fairly decent market but the majority of the film plastic does not get recycled um it is actually a problem for the material recovery facilities that take our blue can material and sort it out into the different materials from fibers to containers um etc so it's absolutely problematic in those systems. We've seen California has this plastic bag ban for grocery store bags. And we're all familiar with that now. That took away a lot of those um, floating bags that we'd see in the wind, getting up tight up in the weeds along the roads and stuff like that. So it's been a big help, but they're still, they're still out there. And matter of fact, the grocery industry as a whole, the plastic bag industry as a whole, just did a workaround for those plastic film plastic bags. We can still get film plastic bags at the grocery stores. They're just thicker and they meet the mandates of the law. Um, so they don't float in the air, but does it, do they get recycled? That's the big question. And right now there's no uh, real good recycling of those film plastics. So they're most of them are ending up in the trash or in the recycle bin where they shouldn't be. Um, they should just go in the trash if there's not a, a dedicated program to recycle those. Uh, moving up the chain again, we're at number five, which is your polypropylene. Um, this is again clamshells for food containers. You'll see a lot of those either in clear or black plastic. Um, that polypropylene does have a decent market for it. Uh, your little pods, your coffee pods for your pod coffee makers, those are made of polypropylene. Um, those are not as well recycled because they're small. They've got multiple components to them. There's usually coffee grounds still in them. Folks aren't really willing to tear that pallet apart, get all the separate, all the pieces out. So then it ends up in the waste stream or in the recycle stream still ends up in the landfill anyway. So those are not being well recycled. And there's been a lot of publicity about a big lawsuit against Keurig. Uh, Dr. Pepper Keurig, who was marketing those things as recyclable when there wasn't a lot of recycling going on. So, yes, they are recyclable, but are they being recycled? That's that back to that same question again. Um, and so, but polypropylene does have an OK market. It's 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 tailing behind HDPE number two, but uh, it's not as strong Then um, the the devil of the plastics. And we're all familiar with this is polystyrene, which is number six. It comes in two forms, densified polystyrene, which would look like PET, would look like polypropylene, typically in clamshells. Um, those materials, uh, there is no market for polystyrene there's, uh, at all. Um, it's being landfilled in, by most immersive. So if you buy, if you buy, if you take home a food container, uh, like for your food, the uh, leftover food from your restaurant, and it's in a number six, you put it in the uh, um, recycle bin, it's probably going to get landfilled. In most cases, it's going to get landfilled. And then the worst of them is the expanded polystyrene. We better know it as the brand name Styrofoam. 
Uh, but EPS or standard expanded polystyrene, that's the curse of the environment. We see it floating around everywhere. Um, it's the coolers, the polystyrene coolers that we see uh, for keeping your food cold or your, your drinks cold uh, for a party or a, a going to the park. Um, it's using a lot of different products. It ends up in the environment. It floats. It's part of that big garbage patch I talked about. See it all the time. See it washed up on the shore all the time. Um, you'll see that a lot of the marinas have gone away from using those big blocks of poly uh, EPS uh, to float their docks. They're doing other other types of uh, more sustainable type of uses to uh, float the docks. And so that's been a good shift in the right direction. How often did you go and see a big giant uh, two foot by three foot by four foot block of styrofoam floating next to the shore because it got loose from a dock? And so and then finally, the last one, number seven, uh, that's the catch all. If it did, if the plastic resin uh, that this product is made of is not in any of those first six categories, it falls into number seven. Number seven has zero value. Nobody knows what really is in it or it's a combination of plastics. There's just huge problems with uh, trying to identify it. And so that those number sevens absolutely get uh, disposed of. There's no no value at all. And so and it can it can look like PET. It can look like polypropylene. It can look like any of the other ones I mentioned. So it's just hard to tell what number seven is. And so that's that's the plastics. As far as the resin types, um, there are other plastics out there that we use. We have plastics in every product, just about. Your car is made up of a lot of plastic nowadays. Um, your computers are mostly plastic, especially the cases. And so, and those are different types of plastics. Um, uh, fortunately, on the e-waste side for your computer systems, your TVs, et cetera, those plastics are getting recycled. They're getting, um, the, the systems are getting broken down and those plastics are getting bailed up in their ship. Now they're shipped offshore because unfortunately in the United States, we can't tend to manage our own waste very good as far as uh, the <laughs> recycled products, uh, recycled feedstock materials. And so we send it offshore and then it comes back in some kind of product we bought. So uh, that's an unfortunate reality, but um, those plastics, a lot of those are getting recycled. Um, so fortunately that's happening for the hard plastics. That's kind of the plastic story, Mauricio. Wow. All right. Uh, well, I think I just got a master's degree on plastics. Um, hey, where silo cups fit in all of this? Uh, the red cups, that's the Oh, the solo cups, the solo cups. Yeah, the solo cups. They they tend to be um, I believe those tend to be polystyrene. I think they're or polypropylene, I believe. I think they're num typically number fives. Uh, but they, they can be number one. So like your clear ones are usually number one, PET. Okay. Now, those should be recyclable. They uh, they should be recycled. <laughs> they are recyclable. They should be recycled. Now, here's where the rub comes in. Um States that have bottle bills, there's a, there's value behind that. You put a deposit down, it's five or 10 mm -hmm. cents on your bottle of pop or your beer bottle or whatever you bought, the product you bought. You can get that money back. You can get that deposit back in most cases. There's been a problem in California with the, re the reduction of redemption centers, a whole different topic. We could take an entire podcast just talking about the redemption center <laughs> closures. I'm not going to do that today. Um the reality is there's a good place for those to go. Solar cups don't have that deposit. They don't get part of that program. They are a good, the, the PET ones are a good one to recycle. They would really be, they're usually typically pretty clean. Um, they don't have a lot of food waste in them. When you go to the clamshells and the uh, the number one PET clamshells, those tend to think about it. You had yep. your sandwich, your sandwich in there with the mayonnaise on it, the mustard on it. That gets on the cook container. How's that get cleaned up? Usually, there's there might be utensils in there, napkins in there. Everybody closes up the clamshell and throws it in the, in the mm -hmm. bin and hopes that it gets recycled. But the reality is, it's not. It's not going to get recycled that way. So, um, but the the cups for the most part 
can be recycled. Um, are they, it just depends on the program and, and what the material recovery facility is doing at their end. Got it. Thank you. Um, you didn't touch on that tackle law. What are your thoughts about that? Uh, is that something that is feasible? Um, what do you think? I mean, they're banning, you know, small, I think it's, you know, I carry my hydro, uh, uh flask, uh, bottle everywhere and uh you know fill it in and anywhere i can you know when we travel like be at, at an airport or uh you know you're walking around and you know there a lot of places have now those bottle uh dispenser you know uh, fill stations what are your thoughts about that david what do you think about something like that i mean you you're the keeping with sure hair brother so tell us what, what do you think about that kind of law david all right and doc well i think i think and and then i'll defer to the expert doug <laughs> for me um, for me, I think, you know, I'm, I'm also one that brings my uh, single use of uh, contain or excuse me, um, not single use is what we're trying to ban. I use my own container as well. Um, and I think that in, in behaving differently, we influence behavior. Um, and I think that, you know, we can, unfortunately, people don't learn until they're fined or there's enough pain for people to change behavior in many cases. And it's unfortunate that we have to make it a mandate in order for it to become something that, that is a, a way to change behavior. You know, I, I guess to answer your question, I don't know enough about the law. However, the spirit of what I heard about the law, it sounds great and I'm hopeful. And I know that keeping uh, Tahoe blue is something that was very effective you know, you, the, the efforts that they put into that campaign in itself, you still see those stickers and you mm -hmm. see that marketing material and people know what I, you know, from this state to other states throughout the country, that marketing campaign really worked to help heighten awareness. So I'm hopeful that this law does the same type of impact. Um, you know, back to Doug, you know, not only... Uh, not only how do you feel about this, and I don't know if you've had a chance to look at it, but also what is it for you that you are focusing on now as an organization that may have a similar focus to try to change behavior that you're working on today, right? Absolutely. So that's dual, that dual question, right? And that's something that I do. <laughs> I do that often because I just think out loud, right? How, how do we how do we celebrate a great idea in legislation while thinking about what we're doing to try to also influence said legislation, right? So back to you, Douglas. David, excellent two-part question. Let's let's tackle the first part about the local, or we like to call them local ordinances um, because they're specific to a jurisdiction. Um, what they're doing up in Tahoe with the local ordinance to ban, ultimately ban single-use uh, beverage containers is a step in the absolute, absolutely in the right direction. We should be going to reusable, as I mentioned earlier about my DR cubed, uh, CPSC DR cubed campaign. Uh, reusable is right there. Um, it should be refillable, real refillable and reusable or interchangeable. Um, for example, uh, absolutely. As demand goes up, I'm one of those ones. I carry a water, uh, steel water bottle, a stainless steel water bottle, and I'll color, I'll, I'll characterize that in a second. But um, I carry that everywhere I go. And so I, I refrain as much as possible from using a single use plastic bottle, even though there's a deposit system on it, even though there's there's good chance to get recycled. Does it get recycled? That's one question. Does it add to um, the, the studies that have been out there that talk about 
what is all this plastic in the environment, especially in our consumption environment, doing to us as people, as a human being? How much yeah. plastic, how much microplastic? Well, I'm sure we'll get into this in a minute, but how much microplastic are we uh, consuming on a daily basis or on a weekly basis? And what is that doing to us as, as human beings? But back to um, the, the local ordinance, it's pushing folks in the right direction because you're right. There's without a mandate, sometimes uh, there's just nobody pushing us in the direction we need to go. Sometimes it's voluntary. It's pretty hard. And I'll talk about that in a second, about <laughs> one of our current uh, laws we were working on that um, got to the governor, but got vetoed, unfortunately. But I'll talk about that in a minute. But um, so local ordinances, we love local ordinances at CPSC because it helps to drive the conversation at the state level. Um, what we find is that manufacturers and uh, other industries that are uh, not so keen on having to change their ways, they don't like local ordinances because if enough local ordinances come about, <laughs> they are yeah. dealing with, uh, just imagine if the 58 counties in California all had a different ordinance, slightly different ordinance for single use materials that had different provisions. That's 58 different programs they have to deal with. They don't like that. They'd much rather have one statewide program. And so uh, we found this with pharmaceuticals and sharps. In 2018, we passed a law that we'd been working on for six or seven years. Uh, it took that long to get the law through, but it's because there was enough ordinances that were passed at the county level that the pharmaceutical and sharps industry didn't want uh, death by 58 different cuts. They'd rather have one. And so we, we were able to get a law through. And so that's that's the real good thing about the ordinance. Um, I think that if we get away from these plastics, that's probably the best bet. We don't. I, I get it that there are times when you're going to need these plastic bottles, you know, certainly for disasters, when you're handing out water for disasters. That's one of those times when you actually actually do need this stuff. It's not the best situation, but it's a, it's a sanitary type of operation. But for the, our day to day um, activities, we should be using refillable water bottles. It should be just as convenient to refill our water bottle at a grocery store or somewhere like that as it is to go buy a water bottle. Or if we go to a park, there should be refill stations um, like we're starting to see in the airports. A lot of the airports now have refill stations. Uh, they figured it out, especially considering uh, the, the grief they got over. You can't bring water into the airport through the security, but then you are forced to buy a two or three dollar bottle of water that costs them 25 cents to buy. Mm -hmm. um, so with that uproar, uh, the that stopped. And the airports have all now, now most of them have installed the refillable water bottles. And so you just go through with empty refillable and then you refill it when you get in and you're on your way. So um, that's the kind of change that we need. That's the movement we need to get away from these single use ones. And so what's going up on going on up in Tahoe is a, is a step in the right direction to get these single use items out of our, our uh, system as much as we possibly can. Right on, right on. And what do you feel like is the, you know, like if you were to pick the effort that you and your organization are focused on with that thought in mind, what do you feel would be the, um, the most uh, impactful uh, measuring that type of a commitment towards change? What are you working on today that would represent that? I think that was the second part of the question that I helped to confuse again. <laughs> no, you, no, no confusion. You absolutely asked that second part. I was just pausing to make sure I got the first part right. Yeah. Um, so for the second part, we actually ran a bill this last year in the California legislature, um, and it was regarding single-use one-pound propane cylinders. So the Coleman, the Burns-O-Matic uh, mm -hmm. camping-style ones that there's... 
there is roughly four and a half to eight million of those a year used in California with only about a million a year actually recovered and recycled. And the gas was uh, so you can imagine where the rest of those go. Yeah. Um, so we ran a bill, uh, Senator Whitekowski out of the Fremont area uh, sponsored, or he authored our bill for us, and we were the, the sponsors. Um, we brought that bill forward to ban the sale of single-use one-pound propane cylinders in California starting in January 1 of 2028, because there is a refillable option out there. For example, how many of us have barbecues, you know, bar- big barbecue grills in our backyard? Use that 20-pound, yeah. five-gallon uh, cylinder to to power your barbecue. Mm-hmm. Well, have you ever seen a single-use 20-pounder? No. They don't exist. They never have. There's always been an exchange or refill option for those. And when these single use one pound propane cylinders came out on the market, that was a horrible thing to do. Um, they should have been refillable right from the get go. People refill those single use ones and blow themselves up, blow up their spouses. There's actually documented cases of this, of these tragedies <laughs> that have happened uh, because people want to save money and they want to use a non refillable cylinder and refill it from their barbecue tank, for example. And so um, we were we were pushing very hard to get this bill through. Um, We did talk about an extended producer responsibility program with that. um, And the one and only uh, cylinder manufacturer for single use one pound propane cylinders in North America was the only primary opposition against our bill because we were saying you're not going to sell that product anymore in California. Now, that same manufacturer makes refillable cylinders (laughs) of all the different sizes, just not the one pounders. So it's not that they can't do it. They just don't want to. And that gets back to your comment about sometimes you just have to mandate it and drive it because they're not going to the table themselves. Um, But like I mentioned earlier, there is a there is a robust uh, refill and exchange program out there in California right now. We have over 400 locations that will refill or exchange one pound propane cylinders that are meant to be refilled, designed to be refilled. Uh, They are more expensive. Your cheap option, which is that one, that single use cylinder costs you about five and a half, six bucks to buy it on in the store, like a Walmart or something like that. Whereas these refillables, once you buy the first one at about $21 filled with gas in it or 15, if no gas in it, um, it can be refilled for as little as two bucks. Or if you want to do an exchange model, like with the blue rhino model for the big 20 pounders, it'll cost you about um, 11 bucks, 12 bucks to get that refilled right now because there's not a lot of competition. So there's that that hurts things. Um, but you're trying to compete. Uh, a, you're having a re, uh, sustainable, refillable option compete against a cheap uh, mm-hmm. one way option, which is the one pound single use ones where that company, uh, Worthington Industries, the manufacturer has no skin in the game when it comes to the uh, recovery of those and the recycling of those. And so if you actually caused that manufacturer and any manufacturers to make the single use cylinders, um, if there were other ones in North America, um, if you actually made them pay for the cost of recycling those materials, uh, recovering them and recycling them, they would be on price par with the refillables. So here you have an unfair competitive advantage of the single use because they're not paying their full fair share. Whereas when you look at the refillables uh, on the exchange model, there is a reverse logistics that comes into play that causes that higher price. It's just the nature of the beast um, to get these things moving back and forth in the commerce in commerce. So which doesn't occur with the single use. And so this is where uh, we focus trying to do 
change the behavior of folks. And even at the mm. at the um, behest of having to ban a product because it's just a bad product to begin with and shouldn't be on the market at all. Um, we did get that bill through both legis- both sides of the legislature. Um, we actually got a two thirds vote of the both both houses of the legislature, even though we weren't required to do so, which shows a lot because a two thirds vote in the California legislature is not an easy thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> A lot of bills dive on two thirds votes. And so we were able to get that through. Uh, unfortunately, the governor felt that um, he, he felt he needed to veto that bill. Um, and he, he he was not clear as to the uh, infrastructure that CPSC has built over the last seven years through our Refuel Your Fund campaign. Anybody that wants to look that up can just go to refuelyourfund.org and find that um, campaign. Um, again, I mentioned there's like four, over 400 locations that can refill and exchange in California. He was not aware of that. Unfortunately, he thought this was a ban without a plan. CPSC's core value is no ban without a plan. And so we had a plan. Um, so we're going to be likely coming back. I've got. I was just going to say, man, you got two thirds that like the strike it while it's hot is wonderful and i i wonder i i know how much you work at uh, how diligent you and your colleagues are trying to help to support positive legislation to improve upon and change communities thoughts and minds around what's right and what's wrong about recycling so thank you for those efforts because that will that ripple effect helps others as well so you and your organization have assisted others directly and indirectly in the next phase of this wonderful thing that you did. Because, you know, you think about it, as you were talking, I thought about, con- you know, for consumers, it goes back to convenience, right? You know, if you're only camping once every other month or only in the summertime, you may not consider using a, a, a reusable container. However, through the life of the container, you're saving money, Right. And if Absolutely. we spun it, that it's also good for the climate. Let's think about the positive impact on our climate and our planet. I, I, I am sure that as time moves forward and people know more about the process that we'll get to see the governor then sign that law into law, that, that policy into law. So thank yeah. you for your efforts in that respect. Oh, our pleasure. And, and what the governor did in his veto message, he told he sent us a message. He said he wanted an extended producer responsibility program. He's a big proponent of EPR. Right on. And so what we'll likely bring back <laughs> upon board my board's approval is a, a new bill that will go into uh, EPR like we talked about during the process mm-hmm. of the last bill. Um, we just we wanted a California style EPR bill. Our opponents wanted a low bar um, no responsibility kind of bill that yeah. we weren't willing to accept. Um, and so we went, we continued on in our, we were um, grateful enough to have our, our author, Senator Wykowski, stick to his guns and say, you know what, if you're not going to do a California style EPR bill, then we're going to stick with the ban. So, um, yeah, so we'll, we'll, we're, we're not going to likely let this die. We're, we're going to come back. Um, and even if the reality is, even if we do come back with an EPR style bill, one, we're going to come out with more products. It'll be the isobutane containers that show up at the parks all, yeah. all the time, too. And they don't have a refillable option right now. So that's mm-hmm. why we didn't target them because they don't they're they in, the consumers need convenience. They need the options to be there. We do, we know they're there for the refillable paint cylinders. We just didn't feel they were there for the isobutane and the butane cylinders. Um, and then also the helium tanks. Those are all one way one-way tanks they get they get landfilled as regularly as anything else and so um it's it's unfortunate 
So under a true EPR program, we would target those all those types of tanks as well, because now we can get those recovered, get some funding behind them to be so they can be recovered. So local governments aren't saddled with the cost of recovering these things and getting them recycled recycled properly and then passing those costs onto us as ratepayers at the curb. So yeah. uh, it's not over yet. <laughs> There's going to be more. Yeah, to come. And, I, and I also and I also appreciate the, the point that you made even before we were getting ready for our, our discussion today about sending some of that cost back to the manufacturer, right? Mm -hmm. if, if the program isn't established, then we should have the manufacturer have some skin in the game. So then in turn, that changes their behavior and it gives them an idea of, you know, this isn't just a line item. This is something that the at the end of stream, they're going to have to pay for it anyway. So why don't we just make the right choice and decision, right? Yeah. We'd love everybody's, we'd love everybody. And I say this in every podcast to be a hippie, hippie with short hair. We'd love that, <laughs> right? You know, that would make me happy because that's what I am, right? However, back to many points that you made, that's just not real. That's, that's the utopian uh, optimistic view that doesn't necessarily work with policy. So I appreciate that you bring that up. To, to add some skin or necessity for change to those that are actually making the product that are potentially becoming the problems that we're trying to resolve as a community at all at large. Right. So right. thank you for your efforts. And, yeah. and the reality, the reality of these programs will be, even if it's a true extended producer responsibility, um, if the costs are truly passed back to the, to the manufacturers, Will a consumer, and this has been kind of a uh, misnomer as well. Well, gee, does that does that mean it's free? No. The reality is, uh, if they have to embed the cost of that in their product, they will. But mm -hmm. it brings it up to parity with everything else. So the consumer really starts to understand what this cost of the product, the full life cost, life cycle cost of that product is, because without it with the just showing up at the landfill or the material recovery facility, they don't see that because they see a bill that comes out monthly on their curbside services. They don't understand how much it may cost. Um, I know that we have jurisdictions that are paying $25 per single use one pound propane cylinder to get them recycled. Now, remember wow. I said those things sell for five and a half, six bucks. Why would it cost five times as much to recycle that properly? And, mm -hmm. and it's, is based on contracts and stuff like that. But we found that the average was $3 a piece without any handling costs, just for transportation recycle um, for our jurisdictions up and down the state. We found it was $3. So it is 60% of the cost of the original product is to get rid of it. And that's just, and it's not being borne by those who are making it. So the consumer doesn't see it and they don't yeah. understand that full life cycle cost. Great point. Uh, you know, and that's the part that <clears throat> I guess we all have to, I mean, as uh, uh, citizens of our community or, uh, you know, whatever you want to call us, need to kind of put the pressures and do uh, those things to our local representatives and so forth and, and try to do the right things because at the end, we're going to pay for it. But for example, I was also reading an article, which I don't know if it was right or wrong, but it is cheaper to uh, create new virgin plastic, so brand new plastic that is re uh, recyclable, right? And I think that one, I read a couple articles on it. But the question is, is would you be willing as a consumer pay an extra, I don't know, throw up a number here, an example, don't call me to a 25, 30 cents more on a bottle of water or a uh, styrofoam, whatever, uh, or pl paper plates or plates for your picnic or whatever. Uh, because they're made out of recyclable uh, uh, product instead of new plastic, right? So again, it comes down to 
what are your your choices you know we we deal a lot with food and we're talking about you know organic food and, and local food or whatever which is a little more expensive but it's better so the question is is are you willing to pay you know a buck or buck and a quarter for a cucumber instead of the 69 cents right now the 69 cent cucumber traveled you know 3,500 miles to get to that store for you to buy. The other one traveled a lot less, but it was more expensive because it's locally grown. It's, you know, uh, more environmental friendly and so forth. But then you're like, wait a minute, I can buy two for the price of one. Nah, I'm just going to buy the two, right? It's those choices. So as a, as a yeah, society, as a consumer, we were going to have to make those decisions eventually. <clears throat> and some of us that maybe can afford it, we should be able to think about start doing that. Not everybody can potentially afford the, uh, the you know, the more expensive cucumber or those kind of uh, things. And one of the reasons why I think, I know we do talk about food in here. Uh, David and I talk about food with a lot of people in this in this space, and why maybe think about talking about plastics or trash or things like that, because it goes back full circle. I think to food, you know, uh, all this garbage goes into the uh, uh, landfills, affects climate change, which affects water, affects temperatures, affects the food production. And then some of that gets into the soil and and the water in the ocean and everything else. And so if you're you're eating the fish that could potentially has a lot of plastic within it. Now it might not be that it's actually eating the plastic, but because it was born on the plastic in an environment that had a lot of plastic, it already has you know the water is swimming has plastic. So there's a lot of studies about that, and I know some people will say this is crazy stuff, but science is there at least in my opinion, right uh, on that. So it goes back to this part about. All this is important. You know, we can talk about not wasting food, and SB 1383 is a great example of that. But there's a lot of things that go into that problem that maybe we're not talking, and that's the reason why I was wanted to bring that to this space, because it's, it's a whole circle, right? It's a circular economy. Everything touches something in our environment, and, and I think that's important to, to be aware of how many different things affect our food system, our climate, and all the things that, you know, we kind of don't think about it. We think they're different silos, right? They're all by themselves, which I don't think they are at the end. And uh, what do you guys' opinion on that, David? Doug, what do you, I mean, thank you for letting me talk for five minutes there on our little uh, soapbox, but what are your thoughts about it? <laughs> no, I think, I think it's a good point, Mauricio, about the fact that these are all touch points, right? And I think that at times there's this disconnect between why is this important to me? Uh, and what should I do to change behavior? Me, me, not not just all of you, but what can I do, right? Yeah. And and I and I, I appreciate also that not everyone understands the full effect of not being involved in these types of efforts. And so I, I appreciate that you know yeah we are I am I'm biased. I, I said it earlier. <laughs> my my focus is I want to keep it, the food out of the ground that turns into methane that is killing our planet. And put it in people's tummies. Yes. Like, let's figure out solutions to do that. That's my, you know, let's take the 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 bulk items that could be made into meals and prepare them in our kitchen. Put them into containers that are not going to affect the environment, right? And so we make an effort on that. So I think it's important that we remember, you know, Doug. It's something you said. You know, the fish may consume the plastic then the predatory fish may eat the fish, which in turn consumes the plastic, which in turn we eat the fish, which in turn the humans consume the plastic, which in turn the plastic affects our neuro, neuropath, our neuropaths. So they're talking about how 
uh, neuroscience is doing research to determine how is that plastic affecting, affecting the human beings that are consuming the fish. And it all started with the plastic, right? So (laughs) it's, it's, it's a connectivity that I think that many, whatever it is that they choose to focus on miss. And so, you know, and then I hand it off to you, Doug. I know I threw out a, a bunch more dialogue, but it's 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 interesting to me how sometimes we forget we we total we as a human race forget that it's not just about the effort we're trying to reduce plastics, right? It's how does that affect us in the end, right? And and I really, you know, Doug, and I know you're you're all over this. Back to you. What are your thoughts? We just threw out a bunch of stuff at you. What do you think? <laughs> well, I'm gonna. I'm make thank you, David. I'm gonna. I'm gonna jump back to Mauricio's comment about um, the the price of resin because, I, and then I'll start yeah. there. And I'm gonna go back to microplastics. Um, for the price of resin, Mauricio, you're absolutely right. Uh, virgin plastic can tend to be cheaper than recycled plastic, but it depends on the price of a barrel of oil, which is very mm-hmm. interesting. And so we've actually seen times where uh, recycled plastic is cheaper than virgin plastic because the price of a barrel of oil is $100 a barrel or $120 a barrel. We're all experiencing that as far as gas prices. Um, I'm not sure that's what's going on now. I think there's some other things going on now with our crazy high gas prices. I don't think it has anything to do with a barrel of crude. But, um, I could be mistaken there. So um, the choices that are made, it's kind of funny as you think about it. Um Say there's a bottle, a PET bottle manufacturer who's making the bottles that are going to be used by the beverage manufacturers to put their products in. Um, you're talking about 40, 50 bottles per pound at the at, at at least for each bottle. Now, a pound of PET costs about 13, 15 cents. So now when you break that down to the bottle level, say say you pay 15 cents for a, a pound of version PET or you pay 20 cents for a recycled mm-hmm. PET. Yeah. How much does that really cost the beverage container manufacturer to go to the more sustainable option? Not a lot. It's on the per bottle basis. Are they going to increase their bottle cost to the beverage manufacturer? Okay, so yes, they charge a penny more per bottle than they were. Maybe they charge five cents per bottle. Now they're charging six. Is that going to increase the cost of the beverage the beverage that you buy at the check stand? Probably not. They can they can absorb that. So it gets down to. But these guys are making billions and billions and billions of these bottles every year. So when you look at it from that perspective, they're saving millions of dollars. <laughs> and yeah. so, and that's what they look at. They don't look at the sustainability, but they look at the bottom line. And that's where we've got to get these manufacturers to start thinking more about the environment and less about the stockholders and the and the price of their stock. So that's a big push. That's always been a challenge. Um, then I'm gonna now I want to jump into microplastics because David, I I think this is a really important place to go. Um, we've all seen the studies out there. Microplastics are everywhere in our environment. So the microplastics are, like I mentioned earlier, when the plastics get out in the ocean, they break down, uh, they become microplastics or their microplastics right from the beginning, say our clothes. If you have a polyester shirt that you put in the wash and then uh, there are going to be microplastics that are washed off of that as it breaks down that are going to end up in the sewer systems. The sewer systems aren't necessarily going to be able to get that out. Microplastics get through the filter systems. They get through all the, they can't be coagulated with chemicals. So they end up in the waters. They end up in the discharge that goes out into the rivers and streams, which then end up in the ocean. Now you got the, the plankton that are eating whatever they can find. The plankton are eating plastics. 
they're taking out the plastic they're they're then they're getting eaten by the bigger fish pretty soon you have all these microplastics that are getting into the flesh of the fish they are finding microplastics in the flesh of the fish mm-hmm. that we then consume as humans um and then another study showed that there's actually microplastics showing up in the placentas of of um, women who've given birth so how scary is that that if it's in the placenta of the of the uh unborn child you know that's connected to the unborn child that is just scary um there's also studies out there to show we are as average Americans are probably consuming somewhere between uh, a credit card of plastic a week or a month. It depends on the study you look at, but uh, that's a pretty scary thought that we're all consuming plastic at that rate. And so here's what I do. Personally, I don't, I avoid plastic whenever I can. Um, So my water bottle is stainless steel, as I mentioned earlier. I don't go for the plastic ones. There are a lot of plastic water bottle, reusable water bottles out there that you can use for (laughs) refilling. Um, It depends on what type of plastic they're made from. Uh, Are they leaching? Uh, microplastics into the water every time you drink it probably um you don't know it but they probably are so that's why i stick with the stainless steel um and then my coffee cup is a stainless steel coffee cup um, or ceramic i don't use plastic coffee cups let's get to your guys realm for the food the reasonable the recoverable food um how is that being shipped out? Is it being shipped out in PET clamshells? Is it being shipped out um, in aluminum? Aluminum is going to be a lot better. It's more expensive, <laughs> as no, you guys know. No and yes. No and yes. Because <laughs> I hate the uh, clamshells. Bad. Yeah. No. Bad. Right. <laughs> well, yes, what, sorry. And one ahead. thing we're seeing, we <laughs> one thing that is very interesting um, on the composting side. So if you get a, so a lot of uh, restaurants are converting to. Um, Kind of fiber-based, which would be your, your more cardboard-based containers to take takeout containers. Well, that's good, but what is coating that container yeah. um, in order to make it grease-proof, to make it kind of waterproof, so that can, so you when you take that uh, the spaghetti home, it doesn't bleed through. Um, are they using a polyfilm-lined container? A polyfilm is a plastic-lined container. There are silica-based options out there. They're they're not as prevalent because the polyfilm is so cheap and easy to apply as an additive to the to the container. So why would you go with a little slightly more expensive silica-based? Like I said earlier, are we talking about a penny per container more to use a silica-based that it would not be harmful to us? Mm-hmm. That still that still does the same thing. Um, so. It's not just in the plastic containers itself. It's in these uh, these cardboard containers, these takeout containers as well. I think it's, I applaud the um, industry for going out and trying to get away from plastic containers, getting away, going to something more sustainable or at least more compostable. Uh, but we still have to consider what is ending up in the composting uh, waste stream. What is ending up that our food is being in contact with? Um, are we still getting microplastics sucked up on uh, because these? polyfilms that are lining these uh, takeout containers that aren't, aren't plastic based or aluminum based. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that. When I was on Maui, we, uh, we went to this uh, wonderful vegan restaurant cause I'm a vegetarian and, and they use banana leaves and steel containers, uh, stainless steel containers for takeout. And I have one now in my car because my wife, it's weird to say my wife and I now feel that we have a useful tool that we can use that can be mm-hmm. reused. And it's a wonderful container that reminds us of this wonderful restaurant we went to on Maui. So I agree. I don't use the plastic uh, option either because doesn't that certainly, certainly we're reusing. However, I'd rather use stainless steel. 
So yeah. all of my containers are either ceramic or stainless steel. We though still have some opportunities with the food recovery piece and the food recovery packaging. We do. And the unfortunate thing is because I guess it's 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 not as cost effective. Manufacturers are having difficulty with creating packaging that's effective that doesn't fall apart uh, when it when food is stored. And 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 we continue to look for options. So we're going to continue to do that as well. Um, we use compostable. To your point, you're right. There's film that's within that compostable container that still is plastic, and so we're working on it and we chip at it as 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 much as we can and as quickly as we can. And being a nonprofit, we also have to consider the cost. We use foil. We love foil. That's our favorite. However, some think foil is a bad thing. So it's 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 something we continue to be mindful about. So yeah. I appreciate you talking about that for sure. Yeah, that's, uh, um, you know, uh, again, is all of this touches a lot of different things in our environment and, uh, uh, and ourselves and everything else. So we just need to be aware as consumers. I mean, we drive a lot of this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, well, I'd be okay if Coke or soda went back to, pla- to a, a, a bottle. You know, I remember when I was a little kid, taking those bottles back, you know, when you bought a new, uh, you know, thing of Coke. Oh. It was great. <laughs> so, I think, as long uh, as there are places that we can take them to yeah. receive the the refund, right? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, another, story. For another yeah. conversation, right? Well, you know, it's another conversation. Said, take away the yeah. funding for those 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 uh, zone areas, and 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 we can't recycle, right? So anyway, that's another topic for another day. Yeah, yeah. Know, when, it's it's. I think I think that, uh, and I would like to say that I appreciate. For sure, yeah. Doug, your time and the effort <laughs> you and your organization have done. And in the interest of all of our time, we could go on for an, a, another two hours because all of us are passionate about what we do. And I just wonder, is there something specifically that you'd want to share to those, to our listeners that you'd love them to leave with after listening to this podcast? Absolutely. I think the the best thing that we can uh, give as a takeaway for your listeners is, choose wisely when you're when you're looking at the options in the store think about what those are you may not have an option you may have to i honestly i do buy stuff in products products and and containers i don't want to buy but it's the only option i've got and until we can change the ways of the manufacturers and their choices we may be stuck with it but if you have an option and if it's a couple pennies more and you can afford it do it buy that more expensive option because in the long run you're going to save us the human race (laughs) and our, yeah. our environment thank you right. yeah thank you both for your opinions and then uh, your your uh, conversations today they were uh, like i said it, you know we try to bring different topics and different things to this space because i think a lot of it touches it's you know it's circular it touches everything and uh i think it's important to bring awareness to a lot of different problems where we consumers can make a difference so you know, with that, I want to thank uh, my co-host, David. It's always a pleasure. Congratulations on your wedding. And I uh, love the pictures of Maui and everything. Thanks for sharing those in uh, Facebook. You're welcome. It was a and, wonderful, uh, wonderful experience. Most definitely. <laughs> I'm, I'm proud, to, proud to be back at work and, and doing our thing. So thank you, Mauricio. You're welcome. And uh, Doug, it's always a pleasure uh, chatting with you and learning. Every time I, we have the chance to, to talk, I learn something new. And I appreciate you I'll continue sharing all your knowledge and and doing all this great work, which is, you know, it's, it's your job, but in, in, a, in a fun way, it's, 
it's fun to do it because you're helping save the environment and and shift some of the responsibility to the manufacturers of all of these products because we all have to be in it. I mean, I understand as consumers will pay more, but these manufacturers need to pay a little bit more. Uh, maybe on their end, maybe cut their you know profits from ten percent to nine and a half. Live with that, you know, 0.5 less, and, and do the right thing. But you know, greed is a different co- uh, problem, and we can go on that for another couple hours in a in a sub box, right? <laughs> yeah, and just remember that yeah. <laughs> those the, uh, us as consumers, we're probably still paying for it. We're just yeah. paying for yeah. it at curb rather than paying for it up front. Correct. So, well, with that, vote, I, vote with your pocketbook. <laughs> vote, choose a different person to purchase Correct. from. Use your money to be the vote. Yeah. Is what I say. Raw. Vote with your dollars. <laughs> Yes. Right, vote with it. exactly, exactly. And Again, thank you so much, Douglas. Uh, and I'm sorry I keep no, calling no. you Douglas. It just comes out of my oh, stuff that's right. cells. I, I, I answered almost any name. <laughs> that's scary. Right okay. on. <laughs> well, you know, make sure that we thank uh, Cali PA for the support and uh, for the podcast. Is their funding who give us the chance to create this space? And uh, as we continue moving forward uh, with other topics. Uh, Please send us a message on the message boards of the uh, podcast. If there's a topic that you want us to try to uh, talk about or whatever, please feel free to reach out to us or go to loafsfishes.org uh, website and send us an email. We'd be glad to do that. And uh, Doug will send us a bio of him and then also uh, a link to all the po- uh, websites he mentioned. And uh, again, thank you very much. Have a great rest of your uh, day, everybody. Thank you for joining us here. And until the next uh Uh, One, ciao.